0: On today's episode, we'll talk about Kentucky's protected classes.
1: Classes? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Plasma! What? It's a 90s kid joke.
1: I am a 90s kid.
0: I forgot you don't pop culture.
1: <laughs> I pop cultured then. Uh. I pretty much only know pop culture from before 2006.
0: Ah, uh a little game on the Sega called Earthworm Jim.
1: Oh, I pretty much was like a Sonic only type of gal. The Hedgehog was where it was at.
0: I was a fan of Tails. I was a little more inclusive.
1: <laughs> How is Tails more inclusive?
0: Because he's a protected class. Cuz like-
1: he had two tails instead of one tail
0: no sonic the hedgehog was a manifestation of hegemony
1: (laughs) get out of here (laughs) i was over here thinking like is there a shift from disability to extra ability yeah having two tails instead of one
0: that too
1: him faster and he could fly he could fly yeah which, the hedgehog could only roll extremely fast.
0: That's how you beat Mr. Robotnik.
1: Yeah, it really <laughs> was. It really was. We're broadcasting from beautiful downtown Louisville here in the historic Hayburn building.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to We and You, where we talk about the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights and a little bit about what's going on in our area. I am Terrence Sullivan.
1: And I'm Brittany Cook. So last week we spoke a little bit about our um, 54-year-old first case. Discrimination (laughs) (laughs) and Terrence's sound effects. For those of you that missed that, feel free to check it out on forwardradio.org. This week, Terrence, you want to take the lead?
0: So this week we wanted to branch out and talk a little bit about the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights and more about what we do, but in a more granular sense. So what we do here is we protect people from discrimination, but there's a question of who actually are we protecting? And I'll keep using the word protecting for a reason. Um, Those people are members of what you would call a protected class. Um, Brittany does not know I was going to ask her this. Yay! (laughs) But um, what are some of the... well, what, does it, what do you think of for protected class, first off, when you hear the, the phrase?
1: So when I think of protected classes, and we have talked about this in the past. It's been a while. Um, I love this conversation. So when I think of protected classes, I think about people who are marginalized and or oppressed in our society that need some more protection surrounded by surrounding them um and also a lot oftentimes these are citizens who utilize more community supports or need more community supports because they've been oppressed um throughout generations so um whether that be based on sex or orientation or age or ability um That's something I'd like to talk to you about more, Terrence, because I know one of the things that we've been trying to figure out is how do we ensure that people know what the protected classes are here in Kentucky and um, what can that look like? I know last week we mentioned having umbrellas. So an example of that that you used was that under sex, um, as a protected class, we offered pregnancy yes. to fall in line with that. So let's talk about that more. What are our pre- protected classes here in this state, um, and how does the commission help?
0: So our protected classes are—it's it, not as straightforward as you would think because Kentucky, being Kentucky and Kentuckying things, things— um, <laughs> Kentucky things yes you, you know what I mean to Kentucky things um we have them broken up into separate sections and so for example for an employment discrimination you can you are protected class by nature of race or color religion national origin sex disability age Retaliation, or the Kentucky of Kentuckying things, smoking.
1: Oh, thank you, Philip Morris. Yes, <laughs> they ran the state there for a while.
0: For those of you that don't remember,
1: burr, burka, burka, burr. <laughs> um, <laughs> I
0: promise I'll stop doing that one day. One day. Yeah. Or you can download that sound as an MP3. Just reach out to me, and I'll shoot it your way. Um, however, in Kentucky, underemployment, those are our protected classes, and what that means. Is if you feel that you are discriminated against either in hiring or firing or treatment based on those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight classifications, okay. then you are able to then seek uh, some resolution through our agency, and you can let us know, hey, this company so and so didn't want to hire me because I. They said that I couldn't do X, Y, and Z because I am a woman or a man or whatever. So in using that, you are able to ask us to work on your behalf to reach some kind of resolution or work out an agreement with that employer that says, you know what? We messed up. This person should have been able to be hired and so on.
1: So you're talking about and hiring, but you also mentioned disability. What are the protections if someone is unable to do something that is noted on the hiring um, job posting, I guess I should call that, on the job posting. The
0: hiring the yes. hiring application? Sure. <laughs>
1: Look, sometimes it's on the application. Depends on where you're applying. Um, But what do you do or what can you do if a specific ability requirement is noted on a job application? um,
0: Yeah, so. job
1: posting. First off. And you can't do it.
0: First off, thanks for asking me tricky questions because that's one of those things that depends on the job, depends on the requirement, depends on if there's been any effort to accommodate for that position before you make that determination. So in a hypothetical, we'll do a couple. Um, Let's say that I was applying to be, here's one, an NBA player. (laughs) And granted, there's no application, although that'd be kind of cool. There's no application, but if there was a requirement that I be able to run up and down eighty-four f- or ninety-two feet for forty-eight minutes nonstop, and there's no <clears throat> and there's no other way to do that if that job, the NBA, has tried to make an accommodation where. I could still do all of those all of do the job without that one function if that were a possibility to complete that job and there's no reasonable way to do it or there is a you know there's a reasonable way that we can do that then I have a claim if okay. however that employer the NBA said you know we've we've tried to figure out ways to make this work Um, We've had people come and do an analysis to see if a person who cannot do this core job duty can still do the job. Um, That's different. But where you make that distinction, it's A, has there been an attempt to make a reasonable accommodation, or B, is it a core job function that without that one ability, you just can't do the job? Um, There are situations where that accommodation could look like someone is able to do all the functions of that job but that one thing, but there are enough people where that function could be covered um, elsewhere. So in employment, that's how it works. We have different rules for, or not different rules, but there are different protected classes really depending on where you're basing your claim.
1: So could productivity be accommodated?
0: What at do you place mean? place of
1: employment? Well, if I wanted to hire you or contract you as an NBA player on my team, I would need or request for you to have a certain amount of three-pointers, right? So, like, if you couldn't meet that amount, but other people we're stepping up and meeting that for you, would that be an appropriate accommodation offered?
0: I think it depends on how that that job works because that was kind of what I was saying about um, being able to use other people to fulfill that function if they Mm -hmm. exist. Um, But if it's a requirement, let's say the rules in a basketball game say... Each player has to shoot three threes a game. If I'm unable to shoot threes, then I can't meet that core function by the rules. And so that's different than if the team needed to make 15 15 threes a game, which would be the same amount, but there's no requirement that each person contribute three of those 15. So that's really where that line can be drawn because if there's a need for that one person has to explicitly be able to do that job and there's no other way to do it and there's no intent to discriminate against people who can't um that's where you really meet that line okay You are listening to We and You here on Forward Radio, 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. Let's talk about housing. Housing is a little different because the protected classes are similar. We don't have that extra one for smoking, so I guess you... Can as a landlord say no smoking in the property. Um, But those, it's race and color, religion, national origin, sex, disability, but a new one in housing is familial status. So that's one that is a little different than any of our other areas that have protected classes.
1: And that's not one you see very often. Um, Would you mind explaining... To the folks listening right now, and even myself, because I know we've talked about this, <laughs> but we haven't mapped it out. Um, what does that mean? What is familial status? Mean?
0: What do you think it means?
1: So, I'm under the impression that that means that if someone is my cousin and moves into condo next door to me, then the landlord is not able to kick one of us out or evict one of us just because
0: it's family? So, familial status, it's, it's one of those very comprehensive classes, um, which makes some of these housing cases more interesting or more difficult depending on how you're looking at it. But, an example, um, and I can't say specifics, But we had a couple of these where a prospective landlord or property owner might say, we don't want people with kids or we don't want people, we don't want um, single moms or single dads Mm -hmm. um, because there's some notion that the People with kids, it might be loud, or mm-hmm. the single parent might be leaving a kid unattended at times so they could go work. Um,
1: See, that makes so much more sense. I'm glad you explained. That.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it could be to keep you and your cousin from living next to each other. I mean, who I mean, knows parties
1: how? Parties every night, exactly. But, you know,
0: yeah. If you're if you're loud and crazy mm-hmm. and and wild as you are, as people can tell by listening to your voice. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's more about what's that structure of the household that someone might then use as a basis to discriminate against you. Um, That has been challenged or discussed in relation to other types of rights and discrimination, which we will get to. Um, But that also, since since we talked about umbrellas to start the conversation, um, those have now been categorized in the umbrella of sex. So we can come back to that. But housing is very important and it's interesting um, to know how often these types of things happen. And one of the issues with housing is we have so many people who fit under sometimes multiple categories that it's, which one do we use as a basis for discrimination as opposed to trying to find one that sometimes tied with race and color with national origin or familial status and sex or race, national origin and religion? Sometimes those all go together. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes a lot of these a little bit more difficult. Even familial status, you might say some families might tend to be larger And you don't want 20 people in your three-bedroom because you worry about how they're going to utilize that space. And so um, those types of discriminatory acts are what we try to safeguard against.
1: Okay. So if someone's filing a complaint, though, and they fall in line with with more than one protected class that's been discriminated against, um, can they file the complaint on more than one?
0: So, generally, you wouldn't file on more than one. Okay. Um, in that conversation with the intake unit or with the investigators, most likely the intake unit, you could find the motivating factor and use that as the basis for the entire claim or whatever you're doing.
1: Okay. That makes sense.
0: But, generally, it's there's normally something that's a lot more aggressive or prevalent than the others. So it's an easy way to mark that.
1: So we talked about employment and housing. What about public accommodations? What are the protected classes with that? And what all can public accommodations or even generally
0: all these hard questions cover. Um, so public accommodations it's really your access to public spaces um, and being able to enjoy the enjoyment of property um, or a space like a park um, especially those that receive government funds and so let's say you wanted to go to a to a store you can do a store um, and someone doesn't allow men to come in for some reason um, that would be a public accommodations violation so our protected classes for public accommodations are race, religion, national origin, sex, or disability and those uh, in public accommodations at least from my perspective from what I've seen, it's been mostly based on disability and places not being accommodating for others to enter their space. Um, There have been a few, quite a few lately, that tie to race and then some that tie to religion. But public accommodations is, when looking at our number of protected classes, it's the smallest
1: What about? I think the argument lately has been um, sidewalks and streets. Those are funded by the government. Are those considered public accommodation?
0: Sidewalks and streets. Those seem pretty explicit. Do you have a reason for asking?
1: (laughs) Just curious right now. Just curious.
0: Sidewalks and streets, like downtown sidewalks and streets, or just sidewalks and streets in general?
1: Sidewalks and streets in general. Ah,
0: okay. No. <clears throat> so, sidewalks and streets. That's an up-in-the-air question. Something that I know we're looking into um, to get an opinion on because those are public spaces of enjoyment that do receive some type of government funding, and they should be equally accessible for all. Um, that's why we have the an example, and if i ever had to go to court for this my example of the, to prove that these are places of public accommodation is we have requirements that they be all sidewalks be wide enough for a wheelchair to pass through the ADA mm. so in my mind if you can regulate the size in order to facilitate the public to more accessible to accommodate the public to be made more accessible then it seems like a natural extension to say that these are places of public accommodation because you require by law that they be accommodating to all people so that would be my legal argument on why these are places of public accommodation Um, and hopefully we get more clarity on that
1: Mm -hmm. soon
0: but as far as we are concerned. We are listening to complaints that are filed for that reason because people do need to have access to their sidewalks and their streets because we pay for them.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I think I know where your head was going on why I asked that question. Probably. But I'm going to sideswipe and probably surprise you by saying that there, there are many sidewalks um, throughout the city of Louisville anyways and I'm sure throughout the state that um are not accommodating and not because they're not wide enough but because they're not well kept enough and so you have these breaks in the sidewalk and um less access to areas of need such as going to the grocery store because even if you are using um a route of accessibility such as a wheelchair, you mm-hmm. may not be able to get the chair. To move over some yep. of these cracks and um, c- missing concrete pieces that we see sometimes. So.
0: That is a that is a sideswipe. Um, however, I those are included, but I will say those take a different step because normally sidewalks are kept by a municipality and. I know for Louisville, because I worked in a Metro Council office where this was an issue a lot, broken sidewalks in um, West Louisville, and sidewalks that just, over time, they never took care of them, so they turned into half grass, half sidewalk, mm-hmm. and so they're impassable. Um, the first step with those is reaching out to the code enforcement or someone of that municipality and saying, these are impassable And then if there's no desire to fix those and make them accessible, then you still do have a discrimination complaint that you could potentially file because they've been made aware that this is impassable and this doesn't accommodate someone with this type of disability. And so that's when you would have that type of claim. Um, The last piece and this is something that people don't really know that we do claims for, but financial transactions, um, that is also has its own protected classes, which are race and color, religion, national origin, sex and disability. And so let's say someone has felt that they were denied being able to purchase something, we'll say a car because of their nationality. And so we'd be able to take that and file against, I guess that would be a car dealership or some seller. But that's not one that people commonly think of, and so I just wanted to bring that up before we break, just because I wanted to make sure that we did touch on the fact that financial transactions are something to um, be considered about, Um, in the aspect of
1: and let me um, let you take that break because I have a question for that when we get back for those of you just tuning in you're listening to we and you with Terrence and Brittany here at 106.5 FM forward radio
0: stay tuned for more radio from the people by the people here on your grassroots community station WFMP Louisville today's episode, we're talking about protected classes and what they mean, and what are some of those protected classes around our state. So, about that question, ma'am, what are you going to ask me?
1: Uh, Yes, so we recently had some incidents in the news that popped up um, that discussed housing, um, but also um, financial transactions. So, there
0: are
1: ah uh, oh, that one yeah <laughs> see you know where I'm going now I do um so for those of you who who haven't um, seen or or heard or or just want to hear a little bit more about it um recently in Louisville it was kind of brought to more people's attention that um, there are landlords who can choose to continue their filing on. Eviction based on um, inability to pay, even once they are offered the funds to pay, or even back pay um, any rent not previously received, they can say no. I don't want it. I'd rather you just be evicted at this point. Um, which to me is confusing because that negates the whole reason of saying inability to pay. Right? I'm evicting you because you're you can't pay.
0: But I don't want to take your money.
1: (laughs) But I don't want to take your money. Exactly. So, um, you know, I have mentioned it before. You're you're a lawyer here today. Um, Let's pick your brain on that. Um, Break this down for me. How does that make (laughs) sense? And and how or can we
0: work on identifying ways to address this legally? Well, first off, that's not where I thought you were going. I thought we were going to talk about um, housing appraisals. Um. Oh, and racism, Oh and yes, housing that's a whole praises. other story. Um, <laughs> but I did not know I was going to have a legal test today. Um. I cannot make it make sense because it doesn't make sense. Um. That's. I don't know. That it really doesn't make sense. The uh, some of the things that it, and we've been sitting in just to let people know we've been sitting in on eviction court um, mm-hmm. just to make sure that some of these proceedings are not being done in a discriminatory way on behalf of the landlords. The judges have been very um, good about, especially recently, about offering up referrals and letting people know about services that may be available to them. Mm -hmm. And that goes to your point, Brittany, about the landlords who refuse to accept the payment that is coming from one of those referred sources. We can't make people take other people's money. Um, However, for any landlord, and I'm not a judge, I know judges, and I, I want to ask some of them about this for next week, but I would assume any judge who is hearing a case for eviction for inability, for non-payment of rent would negatively view the motion for someone to be evicted if there was an opportunity for them to get payment for that same action. And so if I'm a judge, I would either dismiss the eviction outright or make that part of the condition that they accept the payment that's offered and because that's at the end of the day um, I'll speak on their side first at the end of the day their job as a landlord is to provide that space for money It, it doesn't say it has to be money that came out of this specific bank account that went through this spe- these specific channels. I mean, there might be a lease or two out there that says that, but I find it unlikely. Um, so that's where I would go if I were a judge. If I were the attorney for the landlord, however, the only non-discriminatory reason um, I could think of for... Refusing this service is if it was a chronic inability to pay that you as a landlord or landlord's attorney feels would come back once this extra service that's helping cover the cost is gone and you are just delaying the inevitable. And it's not free to file for these things and the court proceedings and all of that. And so they might... And I, I'm i not sure. I don't know. I'm not a landlord. Um, but maybe they're saying that they're just getting their property together now instead of doing this again next month if there's no supplement that's helping people pay. But again, and this is why we are sitting in on eviction court, that may not be the rationale, and there might be people who are doing it to further some discriminatory practice under the guise of inability to pay, but then saying, no, they really couldn't pay, but, you know, this person's trying to pay, but that's not them, so it doesn't count. That's that's not how money works. Um, if anybody is listening and wants to give me uh, money,
1: I'm not (laughs) going
0: to say, um, nope, it didn't come from your savings, it came from your checking, so I don't want it. And if anyone wants, same thing, if anyone wants to donate money to Global Forward Radio, I guarantee they will not say, no, don't send it, please don't send it. They will say, please send it to us, we take Venmo. Um, So... I don't understand the landlord perspective in this, but I guess I can make that one argument, and that's it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, I want to have fun today.
1: <laughs> we are not already having fun.
0: Uh, well, we're talking about you know people going to court. So that's that's
1: true. That's true. Unless All right. it's where can we go from here? Yeah. So, I wanted to play a game. Oh goodness. Is it like Jeopardy? I'm really good at Jeopardy.
0: Mm, Yeah, it's like Jeopardy. Okay. But not. So, supermarket sweep. Oh, I would love to play supermarket sweep. But I wanted to ask you questions and then I will give you some answers, but I just wanted to talk about protected classes in a fun way. Okay, Okay. So, first off, we've seen the most that we have in Kentucky is eight. And that's in employment because we add smoking. Mm-hmm. What state do you think has the most protected classes?
1: Uh, hmm.
0: And you can name a few because it's debatable who has the most.
1: I mean, I'd say I'm probably going to go to our, our larger popula- populated states. So, I mean, California, ding, ding, ding. New York
0: City. New York City is not a state.
1: I mean, <laughs> New York State, ah, yes. This is what happens when you haven't had enough coffee, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's
0: okay, we live in Louisville, the state of Louisville, so it's cool.
1: The state of Louisville. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Kentucky, that is, not Kansas, y'all. Um, is New York on the list, though? New York is on the list. Okay,
0: New York's on the list. Hence the ding, ding, ding. Sorry. Oh, I missed the ding, ding, ding. See? There We, go. we got to make it louder. Yeah.
1: Um, Colorado, I'm trying to think of a little bit more progressive leaning states. I feel like those are looking at how to assist the marginalized classes a little bit more.
0: Colorado does not have the most, but they have one of the most interesting, which we'll get to.
1: Oh, I'm excited to hear this. that is. <laughs> um. I don't know. I want to go with a random, like, Massachusetts
0: or something Ooh, along those lines. That's a point. good one. We will see. I think you're going to hear rough ruffling paper, so I apologize, but my printer was not working with me today. So Massachusetts, they, <laughs> yeah, they have more than us, obviously, but they also have some interesting ones, some that I really like that. I find interesting and worth discussion. Um, But yeah, you named it. You got them on California and New York City.
1: New York City. I mean, come on. Who else lives (laughs) in any other part of that state?
0: Anyway, so the weirdest (laughs) one, what do you think would be a very... If you were going to say, what's a protected class that you probably think exists but it's strange that it does.
1: Oh, I mentioned this to you a couple of months ago. I was kind of back and forth. I didn't know if it did exist or not, um, or if it would really make sense. But um, your your political ideology or, or party that you're a part of, would that fall in line with the protected class?
0: It could. I haven't seen one that specifically said that, how. Ever.
1: We're a nonpartisan radio show.
0: Yes. Um that could be a very interesting one to look for. I didn't even look for that as a my guess would be that it's not one, but it probably is because I'm often wrong.
1: Um, (laughs) Are you? Yes, I am. Why do I keep asking you all the questions? I don't know. I can (laughs)
0: stop talking right now and we can be done. Stay tuned for more radio from the people, by the people, here on your grassroots community station, WFMP. Louisville.
1: We are independent, not-for-profit, listener-sponsored, volunteer-powered community radio, and we rely on your contributions to stay on air. Please go to forwardradio.org. Click participate to get behind these microphones and click donate if you like what you're hearing and wanna help sustain it. Consider sponsoring an entire day's broadcast with a gift of just $20 to Forward Radio.
0: Um, so I did, the one that I thought was very interesting and there were probably eight states that I saw that had this was participation in Civic Air Patrol. <laughs> what? (laughs) (laughs) Or Civil Air Patrol. And I was like, what does that even mean?
1: So, like, TIA?
0: I don't know what that means.
1: Wait. (laughs) I think I said that wrong.
0: It's okay. That's how they pronounce it in the state of New York City.
1: Um, TSA.
0: Oh, okay. I think, um, just by looking at other states, I think it is some form of... And this would be my guess, and we can we can look it up right now with computers and phones. But Civil Air Patrol, my guess was it's like a National Guard-type membership, um, but maybe Air Force-related. I'm not sure. I'm just making that up. But this it was— This is when
1: I wish we had a call line so somebody could come in and be like, this is what that means. uh
0: uh-huh. Yeah. Too bad you don't have a computer right in front of you that you could type on. I you
1: know.
0: Um, but— <clears throat> that is that one came up in a few states and i was like okay that's interesting a few states yeah. how many about ish it was approximately 8
1: wow you said civil air patrol yes i'm looking that up now
0: so in my head it's this fancy um top gun looking thing but it's probably not because As I said 45 seconds ago, I am often wrong.
1: So, essentially, it says it's a non-profit corporation that serves as the official civilian auxiliary of the United States Air Force. Um, So, emergency services, search and rescue, disaster relief, and aerospace education for youth. So... I don't know.
0: So similar to the National Guard, but for the Air Force and.
1: So that kind of reminds me of, you know, something I found out recently that fell in line with the protected class. um, For hate crimes, which are also often considered to cover protected classes, right? Um, That covers peace in Kentucky, peace officers as well. Um, as firefighters, so this kind of reminds me of that. It's it's covering an employment or some, um, or
0: type, type, some, type, some type of some type of civic participation. Civic
1: participation, yes, sure. Um, I mean, technically, what we do, the commission is civic participation, correct? It
0: is. So, so if, it anyone, if anyone specified... says anything bad about us, <laughs> if you don't listen, then that is a hate crime. So Sorry, we guys. have
1: um, a very. Minimal amount of civic service folks that are being protected um, alongside other protected classes. I'm just kind of curious on why that would be. And I think it kind of falls back into part of one of the things that we talked about last week. You know, choice versus what you were born into.
0: Yeah, I think... I think if from your example I think if that was a direct protected class for one of our categories like employment PA public assistance housing or financial transaction I don't know if those are if those are similar in the situations that our office is able to cover because mm-hmm. I don't know of any stories of someone being denied a job because they were a firefighter. Um, but I do know of people who have been denied a job because of their sex or gender. Um, and so I think that's where the difference is, is we cover things about someone being discriminated against because of their status as x y or z but those things are for other people who interact in a manner that they might find unsatisfactory towards a specific group but not discrimination in the categories that we cover if that makes sense at all (laughs) um but I do think that there—that that is a very interesting concept or a thought to further dive into. Um, there were a couple other classes that I saw that I thought were interesting and worth conversation, if we could do a couple seconds on a few of them.
1: Yeah? Um, is this part of the game still? Yeah. Okay.
0: It's all a game, sorry. Um, but the first one was there were about six states. Other states had it in a different way, but drug test status and in employment, which mm. is fascinating to me. What do you think about that?
1: I mean, that's not unheard of. Um, we, you know, what was it, just three years ago, um, had a lot of... Back and forth about that going on with not only whether employers should have to maintain someone who say test positive for certain drugs, but also to assist with people who are obtaining government assistance that may test positive for a substance. Um, so I'm not surprised that that would be something that that would fall in line under. Protected class um, because you know I guess the argument would be that it would ensure that people can't get fired yeah. for testing positive. I know um, there are specific agencies and businesses that will say that if you test positive for a substance, that they are requiring themselves to. Um, as an agency to support you by offering substance use classes mm-hmm. or treatment um, rather than being able to fire you on that. And, and it falls in line for me, you know, as a mental health provider myself. I'm not doing that work now, but for me that falls in line with...
0: Sure, you with already men- talk to me every day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that falls in line with mental health, and mental health should... should fall in under disability in general, so it it really shouldn't even have to be separated, but it does for a lot of folks that don't want to separate the two.
0: A couple of other ones that I found interesting, and then feel free to jump on any of these. Um, Public assistance status. If you are a domestic violence survivor. Oh. If you possess the sickle cell trait, and I added that just from our conversation the other day. Yeah. And if you are breastfeeding.
1: Mm. That last one though. That one I'm sure has been a big, big issue. Um, yes. the sickle cell one, again, it sticks out to me. Why why does that have to be different than falling under a typical disability as a physical health concern?
0: You know, I'm I'm curious. Um and as someone who has the sickle cell trait, um, I was wondering the same thing. I think one um, for people who don't know about sickle cell um, in America, it is generally black people who have it. Um, it was a genetic or a- adaptation or adaptation to conditions in higher hot, warmer climate areas um, in not getting into science and stuff but just how some of your red Evolution. blood
1: cells yeah, here we
0: go some, how some of your blood cells are shaped um, and I wonder if that was included one because in this particular place someone wanted to either explicitly include it because it wasn't being recognized as a disability because as someone who doesn't have all of the characteristics of someone who has completely all of my cells or that shape, I don't have the same bouts of fatigue or sickness that others would. It can come to me sometimes, but not as often. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that was why, because it's not seen as a chronic thing because it doesn't always affect you. Um, That'd be my guess. Okay. But I don't know. That'd be worth figuring out and looking up just because I'm kind of intrigued now. Not the one I thought you would pick up on for discussion, but I think that one... (laughs) I mean,
1: I could talk about the whole breastfeeding issue for probably at least a whole day, so (laughs) I'll skip over that one.
0: We did have in the legislature the past few years a bill around this that didn't... It's seen its rounds. It will it will pass, I'm sure. But that mm-hmm. has come up a couple times. Um, yeah, I just thought that it's interesting to look at the different types of protected classes around the country. And Brittany does not know this, but the sheet that I found from my research included in the States, it does include New York City. Uh uh-huh. And San Francisco and
1: L.A. Um, See, I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> even when I don't know what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> Which is why I thought it was funny.
1: Fake it till you make it, folks. Um, I'm also, you know, you have domestic violence survivor on there. That really does surprise me, too. There are, for anyone that has been in that situation or, or even been around someone that has been in that situation, you know, there's so many barriers to getting out of a domestic violence relationship um that your employment can suffer your your work performance can suffer sometimes people literally have to disappear for a little bit of time so i'm very very grateful to see that i wish that that was on more protected classes across different states um i wish that we had that here in kentucky
0: on that note and right on cue from last week, our sirens are back. Um, <laughs> but on that note, for thinking moving forward, and as we wrap up today, um, there are some things that we want to take to the legislature to expand our protected classes. And anyone who is listening, um, who if you have some thoughts on what you think we should include, reach out to us on Twitter um, at humanrightsky or give us a call or just reach out um, or you can reach out to me or Brittany personally Mm -hmm. um, and bringing this all full circle to talk about and what I wanted to close with um, in order to make some of these things happen so we can expand our protected classes is we have to remember that the people who make decisions we put there And so, Mm -hmm. just up until the election, we want to do these plugs for people to participate and want to remind people to vote, register to vote. vote. (laughs) She's trying to take my sound effects from me. Um, And also to volunteer to be a poll worker, just ways to increase that participation in the process. Because if we want to make things happen, if we want to make change happen, we all have to be a part of it. Um, So
1: for those that are worried about, you know, any kind of concern for contracting coronavirus, um, Kentucky has now opened their Porter for portal for absentee voting. So please feel free to jump on and fill out your request for an
0: absentee ballot. That's pretty much everything um, that we wanted to cover today. But um, as we, look forward to next week just wanted to remind everyone that we are here to create this space for people to join us on our walk towards a non-discriminatory Kentucky and as always just reach out to us at the commission or us individually and we will be happy to talk in real life so that's
1: at kchr.ky.gov
0: Cue the sirens. (laughs) If you enjoyed this show, check out some of the other great programming here on Forward Radio, such as Depth and Weight, Joe and Annie's amazing, heartfelt exploration of the battle against addiction. It airs here on 106.5 FM every Sunday at 2 p.m., Monday at 8 a.m., and Tuesday at 2 p.m.
1: In the lead-up to the most important election of our lifetimes, we urge you to consider supporting Forward Radio during Louisville's one-day mega fundraising event of the year. Forward Radio's community-connecting, democracy-defending programming is more important now than ever before, and we need your support to help us pry open that fast-shutting door of media in the public interest. On September 17th, donate at GiveForGoodLouisville.org. Search for Fellowship of Reconciliation and tell your friends to do the same.
0: Voting is important. This year, with the addition of absentee and early voting, information is a key part of that participation. Make sure your voice is heard this November. Before October 9th, go to GoVoteKY.gov to request your absentee ballot or get key details on this upcoming election. Remember. Early voting begins October 13th, and the general election is quickly approaching on November 3rd. At We & You, Brittany and I want to thank you for taking part in our democracy and moving this state and country forward.